Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to another BitFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest is James Webber, a returning guest after six years wandering around, making other films. He's come back to us with his new film, Sorority. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me on again. My absolute pleasure. My absolute pleasure. Now, am I right in thinking this is your feature debut? Yeah, you're you're right. Yeah, this is this is the first one, yeah. Fantastic. Congratulations from all of us at Britflix. Thank you. It's a not easy getting a film made. It's not easy getting a film completed. So you've done you've done all that now. You've uh, and here we are with sorority. So uh, if you want to just for a for the listener who's thinking, can I see this film? Or do I want to see this film? Do you want to give a brief synopsis as to what sorority is about? Yeah, so sorority is uh it's an urban drama about two Sisters, um, I guess you could call it a slice of life film. It's uh, charts a few days in the life of these two sisters as they kind of confront a rather tragic past and look to head to uh, a, a brighter future. I guess that's the film in a, in a nutshell. And it's kind of uh, bittersweet. It's kind of funny. It's a bit sad. It's a bit of everything. Yeah, it's a bit. It's it's that thing about. Um... And, and 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 all through your adult life, your characters will learn that uh, these are the chapters you keep coming up against. The idea of something ending and something beginning, but actually, it's just a continuum. There's no there's no there's no cold cut away from where you was and where you're going to next. It's just you know it's what's around the corner. And I think it's a it's a lovely it's a lovely way of um, of examining it through two people at very important crossroads that mm. they don't really appreciate, do they? But but. They learn to through the decisions they're making in that moment. I, I think um, sometimes, certainly when when you're younger, those kind of changes do feel a little bit more finite. Um, when you're older, you realise actually things just kind of continue, and uh, you know you grow and you learn along the way. But um, I, I, you know. I guess that's kind of what interested me in the film and sort of like the idea of these two people have only ever had each other and then just find themselves at this particular time in life where one's going one way and one's going the other. I think when you've been in that quite sort of insular situation, it's a huge upheaval and it's quite scary. Um, Yeah, so it's interesting to sort of pull it apart and go into uh, the details there, I think. Yeah, I mean, I can as as uh, if I can use myself as an example, which is a bit arrogant of me, but um, as one of your characters does get to uh, make the leap into university from A levels, that that sort of chapter, um, you're talking to a graduate in estate management who's currently hosting a podcast and is a screenwriter. So whatever I thought I was going to be at 19, it never happened. I think I think that's the same for most people. They always say the thing you go and study at university or college or whatever is 
quite often not the job you go on to do. You wrote and directed this film. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, and I should I should add actually at this point, um, there'll be links in the uh, in the show notes as to how and where you can see the film, and that will change as things change with the film status. So keep your eye out for that for those listening today, tomorrow, and six months in its future, and whenever else you pick this podcast up. Um, so you writing this screenplay, um, what for you was the kernel of the idea that that set you off on the path that became the film Sorority? I think it kind of goes back to my childhood in some ways. I grew up in um, in a house kind of surrounded by a lot of you know women, um, all part of the same family. When I was a kid, I lived with my mother, my grandmother, and my great grandmother, all under the same roof. Um, in this little bungalow. I mean, I was talking to my mum about it the other day because it's a story, you know, when you're sort of talking about the film, this story comes up and I asked her, I was like, how do we all fit in this this little bungalow? And we we had this big debate because we, we couldn't remember where everyone was sleeping. It, says, it, it just was such a small place. Um, but um, I sort of grew up around, um, you know, close female family members and you'd sort of watch those interactions and you know they were funny complicated um you know occasionally you know they annoy the hell out of you you know there was it was just really funny and just sort of seeing that generational um interaction i guess it's something that always kind of stayed with me Mm. and has kind of interested me as a filmmaker and then Oh God, a long time ago, I I, I started writing, um, I guess it was the first, you know, for what sorority became. It was like a comedy about two two sisters who had a terrible relationship. And then (laughs) over time, it became more of a drama and the relationship stopped becoming terrible and sort of became quite strong. And I sort of developed it and ended up doing a short film about it called Soror. Um, which was back, must have been about, once again, about six years ago now, mm-hmm. um, sort of based on the feature idea. Um, and a lot of the people who went on to work on the feature uh, were involved in that as well, you know, like same cinematographer, Lorenzo Labrini, uh, Kate Dickey's in the short film, as well as the feature, and a few other people as well. But it was quite an interesting way of sort of taking that idea and experimenting with it in a, the good film, the good thing about short films, um, is that you can experiment. You can try things out. You can see if things work and if, if they don't work, then, you know, there's no real blowback, you know, that's, that's the wonderful thing about short films. So I had the feature idea for sorority. Um, I took elements of that to experiment and uh in a short film you know more shorter contained version of the story even though it's still nigh on you know 25 minutes long it's like a third of the feature um and it was a a really really great experience because i got to try new things like working improv you know actors like kate dickey and sean brecken and rosie day you know all wonderful actors and I learned a lot from that process. We also got to, I guess, find the visual style mm. of the feature film before we made it. Okay. Um, so many years later, when we actually made the feature, 
it was quite a simple process in some ways, like creatively, because we had already done so much work. Um, I mean, we sort of jokingly referred to the short film as like our test footage that we shot many years before. Um, and it was just a really helpful way to sort of go about the process because there were also things, you know, I felt that didn't work about the short and I could jettison them and focus on the things that did work. If I hadn't done the short film, I, you know, wouldn't have had that previous knowledge. So it was very beneficial to, to the creative process. So when you were expanding that short film idea out into a feature, was, 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 was that always the plan or was that a reaction from you to the short film and thinking, oh, it's got legs, this? Um, it, it was always the plan. Um, in, in the back of my mind, I, I really wanted to make the feature film version. Um, I wanted Saror to sort of stand on its own legs as well. But, um, yeah, it was always sort of, you know, my previous short film, Driftwood, was exactly the same, you know, it was, from a much larger feature film idea. And I just took elements from that that I could sort of experiment with in uh, a short, short form format. Um, yeah, which is quite, uh, it's a, you know, it's quite a cool way of doing things. What was, what was your process then for taking, for, for, for taking what was a, obviously a, a self-contained screenplay that like you say, run, run for 20 odd minutes. And then thinking, right, how do I get this into a sort of 80, 90 minute feature film? How, what, what, were, what were the narrative threads that you could see there was potential for in the short that was obviously unexplored? And, and what were the challenges in, therein trying to bring those out into a feature film? The, the weird thing is, I did it the other way around. Oh, go on. I had the feature film version and then basically... Um, took the essence of it and made it into a short. Okay. Because um, usually it's sort of the other way around when yeah, yeah, shorts yeah. Are, features are based on shorts. I sort of did it the other way around where, although the drafts of the features then were very different than, I think I think Sorority as a film now is much different than the Sorority that Soror was kind of, you know, taken from back then. Mm. You know, it evolved quite a bit in that in those years. But, um, but yeah, it is. It's. It, I guess you just sort of look at the large screenplay and sort of maybe there's some scenes that you feel are the kind of essence of the story, um, and you you take them and you put them down and you condense them. And um, I did want the short to stand on its own legs. So you know, the short film does things a little bit differently than the feature film does, and that's good because I, th- I think the characters are a little bit different as well. Which you know, other than you know, Kate Dickey reprising her role. I think her character is quite different in the feature than in the short. And I think the sisters are, are quite different in the feature than they are in the short. Although they're still, you know, incredibly close to each other. You know, it's it's interesting. It's sort is of that, evolved. Is, is, that, is that because of what was on the page? Or is that because the actors did something different in terms of their response to what was on the page? Um, it's a little bit of both. Um, I, I always sort of see the script as a starting point. I'm not, um, you know, I, I, the, the, the job of, I guess, a writer and director is in some ways you're, you're like an editor. Mm-hmm. You're an editor on set. Not an editor of imagery, but you're sort of an editor or, or, or a caretaker of the characters. Um, 
I always like people to put their own stamp on their work, to bring their own ideas to the character. Um, if they feel that there's a line that feels better or just feels right in the moment, yeah, more than what I've written, you know, we'll talk about it. I, I don't necessarily always agree, but quite a lot of the time you cast the right people who really care about the character they're playing. You'd be stupid not to listen to it. And that was definitely the case um, on, on the feature. Like, uh, I think some of them were a little bit shocked about how um, I was like, oh, yeah, that's great. We'll do that. And they're like, oh, really? I, I was getting ready to sort of talk you into it. I was like, no, no, that's that's a brilliant idea. <laughs> um, so I'm not, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. Sometimes I'll be like, I don't think that'll work. You know, I, I you know, and I'll, we'll sort of talk about it and I'll explain my reasoning behind it. Um, but quite a lot of the time, you know, there's, we, we were very lucky to have some amazing actors in sorority and um, you'd be sort of, silly not to not to listen to that kind of uh fantastic advice now looking looking at the film i can recognize i think um a number of locations that i've been to around east london um I'm, okay i'm pretty yeah. sure am I'm, I'm, I'm right in thinking sort of curtain road that kind of area around shoreditch yeah we did we did shoot around there i mean pretty much i'd say most of the film was shot in west london um, rather foolishly in my own house as well, which is the, uh, the sister's house in the film. Um, the, I say foolish because we had all the, we repainted and did all the carpets just in time for a, a massive film crew to come through and <laughs> traipse through the house. So, yeah, I think we're, we're still sort of working on the stains. But, um, so, yeah, so in that so sense, much... I was going to say, so in that sense, then the West London element and the presence of the airport was very real as a story. Narrative. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's this. It was the same thing we did with the short, um, which was also filmed in my house. I didn't learn that time. And the planes going over. I, I mean, I was all, you know, when you live in the flight path of Heathrow, you sort of get used to it a little bit. But um, I, th I think sometimes it does have a bit of an effect. I think there's a moment in the in the film where you know someone, uh, Sophie Kennedy Clark's character remarks on. You know, it can make you feel quite lonely with all those people traveling to different destinations over your head. Um, I think the sound people would probably feel otherwise, but I was always really, I thought it was a really interesting theme to have through the film. So I didn't mind plain noise in the film. I think it's, it's sort of like a, a, it adds character to the location that we're trying to create. I mean, you, um, you, I think, you literally bring it to the fore at one stage. Don't yeah. you? There's an argument between two characters and the heat of the argument is corresponds to the noise yeah. and volume of, of, air, of uh, jet planes. Well, that was quite interesting because that scene was shot in a continuous take. I think it's might be about six minutes long. Okay. And the... Sort of, there, there was a lot of stuff uh, uh, sort of said that you know I, it can't be done because a plane will come over and drown out the dialogue. Um, we'll have to shoot just a series of you know your standard shots to try and cut around. But I, I felt like we, we were establishing the planes quite early on in the film. I mean, there's lots of shots of the area with, and there's quite often a plane in the sky or you hear it in the background. Um, 
and I felt it added to the scene. It's quite a, it's quite a explosive argument on the street, and the plane noise adds to it. I, I felt it, it really sort of. It's almost like a pressure cooker. You hear it coming, and actually, the beats of the scene where they get angry work perfectly with the plane coming in, and it it, it really sort of creates a, a, a really cool mood. The funny thing is, as worried as the sound people were about it, and we actually had our um, host sound designer on set that day. He came down especially, probably to try and talk me out of it, but he listened in and with him there, like I, I was like, can we work? We got the scene down. I was like, can we work with this? The funny thing is, we had to add plane noise to it in the end. The planes weren't loud enough. So... Um, I think there's an additional plane added at one point and one of them was boosted up. So after all that sort of worry, we, we ended up sort of adding more and more to it anyway. Well, it's, 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 always the, it's always the case, isn't it? What you want is never enough and what you don't want is too much. I think that's probably the... <laughs> that's filmmaking in general, isn't it? <laughs> so just because just what's fascinating me about the shots that I recognised as, uh, as Shoreditch is... I wonder if you could speak yeah. to your experience of shooting at night in a place as busy and as lively as as, um, oh, as Shoreditch, because obviously you're trying to capture the idea of two people out celebrating, but obviously yeah. so is a lot of other normal people who aren't acting in films. There's some interesting outtakes. Uh, yeah, like, um, yeah, so basically we, we had this um, this alleyway, um, you know, and it's... it's, it's, it's in Shoreditch, beautiful graffiti, and but it was always quite quiet, even you know at the weekend. So we we shot a scene there of them, of the two characters walking along, kind of happy, they're out to celebrate, you know, taking a few swigs from a bottle of vodka, etc. Yeah. And then I was like, we we were going back to unit base, and which was in walking distance. So I was like, well, we might as well just film them in character walking back to the unit base. Um, so we did that. And of course that meant walking past people coming out of the pub. And yeah, I think we were just like a herd of elephants behind, although it probably doesn't feel like it in the film. There's like a ton of people constantly running around behind the camera to try and not be in shot. And yeah, there was, there was quite a few drunk people who were, were all of a sudden confronted with this full on film crew coming straight at them, which, um, yeah, it was, it was probably quite terrifying in their inebriated state. But um, it looked quite cool in the film, and it's very um, off the cuff. And it's, I quite enjoy moments like that. Um, sort of gives the film like a very um, real feel. I was going to say, I mean, that, that, that description of how you, even the decision, never mind the description of how you did it, but the decision to do it is, is a reflection of the energy you can feel in the shot. There's almost like there's a sense of, um, what do you call it? There's the devil may care of the characters who obviously have got their exam results and then can move on with what they're going to do next. But there's also that 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 sort of I guess the the, the subtextual stuff, which is is that you you and the rest of the crew are just trying are just trying to get this get this um, get this in the can um, at the same time, and, and that's fraught with the public who may who may just want to take interest in what you're doing. You know what? I I was really worried about filming that stuff. Um, I mean. We did all our pre-production in Shoreditch, um, uh, yeah, and we sort of sat up in the in the diner, just kind of off of um, uh, what's the main party street, 
Um, it's the kind of place you always go early in the morning and have pancakes because you're hungover. Um, but we, we would regularly kind of set up our laptops and be in that booth in the corner. And that was kind of our production office. Um, and I love Shoreditch. It's such a, a, a fun, kind of vibrant place. There's all kinds of people and, you know, a fair few amount of nutters as well, which I think is what makes it so appealing. Um, but then the idea of sort of shooting there on the street on the fly as well, you know, is, is a bit kind of scary. But we actually had no trouble at all. Um, we, we had more trouble kind of probably in, in, in West London filming around our way. Um, where I live, um, yeah, Shoreditch was was kind of a dream. Um, we shot the party scene. There's like a big party scene in the film, and that was all shot in Shoreditch as well, and a really cool uh, property there. Um, so, yeah, it was it, it it worked very well for for our needs, and I'm, I'm glad that you know we were trying to keep location moves down to a minimum, being completely based in West London for the most part. Um, it was really great for, for production schedule and that we could shoot a lot of stuff with very small unit moves. Um, sort of having to go all the way over to East London was, you know, we were debating whether we could just recreate that locally. But I'm sort of glad that we sort of stuck to the guns there and, um, yeah, got, got a bit short itch in there. Given it is your debut feature, um what would you say, what, what would you speak to the experience that you've gained from it that you hadn't already gained from the short films you've made in the past? What, 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 what level up have you done in your mind having done this film now that you, that you weren't at before you made it? I think in some ways, um, I was surprised in some ways of how similar making a feature film is to a short film, or at least the way I had made short films. Mm-hmm. Um, there's probably just as much, many locations in this film as I had in the short film version. Um, there's pretty much just as many actors as well. So you're doing the same amount of work. You're just offering more money um, and doing it for a longer period of time, um, which was kind of a bit of a surprise at the time. I think the new stuff um, for me is obviously, because I, I was more involved as a producer on this film. Okay. Um, you know, because it's, you know, it is a micro budget film and um, I felt uh, that I, I was probably ready to sort of make that, that larger step up, having done a little bit of producing before in the past. Um I think it's just raising the finance and, you know, we'd always done crowdfunding campaigns for a lot of our, our short films. And it's a little bit different when you get to a feature, mainly because you need a lot more money um, and, you know, finding people, I mean, film financing is, is a minefield, um, which I think is no, you know, it's no secret. I think it's <laughs> plainly obvious for anyone um, that that is probably the biggest challenge, raising enough money to make your film the way it needs to be made. Um, we were quite lucky on this. It was quite straightforward. We found someone quite quickly. They committed to paying basically the entire budget. Hey, y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? 
And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Um, I had been in a few situations with other projects where you meet people who say things like that and you don't get excited because you know they probably have no intention of doing it. They just like the feeling of, of uh, you know, saying that to someone, you know, over uh, an expensive meal or something, you know. So I didn't get excited, but you know what? The guy stuck to his words and did actually fund the film. So it was quite a nice experience. I guess the the, 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 the biggest takeaway I'm, I'm getting from it is um, sort of the the... the the, the back end, you know, d- distribution, things like that. It's, it's stuff that, um, you know, I have had short films that have had distribution with people like um, Crypt TV or Shorts International, but it's a different ball game completely when you're talking features. Um, so that's a process that, that I'm learning about and actually really enjoying it's it's nice to sort of be exposed to sort of other areas of of the filmmaking process that that i haven't been before um and that's the great thing about making micro budget films it tends to throw you in um occasionally at the deep end um in you know new new experiences and new things to learn maybe more so on the business side um so that's probably my biggest takeaway obviously with covid and everything that's been pretty interesting um luckily we'd shot the film um before the first lockdown um was announced we we'd uh we had the final cuts but we were doing like sound design and grade and the sound mix so a lot of that had to be done remotely which isn't a way I really like to work I like to be in the room I like to talk to people I like it you know it's nice you get that sort of back and forth and that creative energy flowing it's a bit difficult to do that over um over over a zoom call or by email um but but we got there in the end um but it you know that was definitely a challenge um as of interest then having gone through that experience and and thinking that you obviously would prefer to be in the room does 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 having done it successfully open your eyes to doing that in the future? Because obviously it must be less expensive to not have to have everybody in the room together. So there's a, there's a, there's a cost saving somewhere, isn't there, in, in a normal No, it's exactly the same cost, unfortunately. Right, um, okay. Yeah, because, I mean, if you're hiring a grading suite and the grade is grading, it doesn't matter if you're there or not. Like, he has to be there. In fact, it can cost more because, you know, it, it, it takes a little bit longer to get your ideas across, especially with grading, you know, it's, it's difficult to 
you know, you're talking large file sizes being transferred backwards and forwards. Um, you know, it, it, it slows the process down. Um, and as we all know, like the biggest thing is, you know, time is money and that's very true. Um, and luckily we were able to get in and do the sound mix in person, um, you know, the, in a facility, Halo Post in, in Soho, and they had a, a great system, felt very safe. The, the mixing stage is big enough that, you know, there's plenty of room. You can completely socially distance and still have that level of, you know, of input and, you know, working at the speed of creative thought. I think that's that's the thing that I miss. And you can't get that remotely. It's just with grading, you have to be in there. Like my monitor, you know, I think it's, you know, it's, it's good for viewing colors, but it's never going to be as good as what they're looking at. Um, and when you're making small adjustments, they also are not entirely sure if I'm looking at the very same thing that they're looking at. There's little things like that. Yeah, and for a little production like us, we're not prepared, you know? I was going to say, yeah, I hadn't thought about that kind of QC element to it because Obviously, editing remotely is just cuts, isn't it? But obviously, once you get down to the the polishing and the sandpapering of the of the of all the rough edges to make it into the smooth film that people see, then that's that's about percentages of percentages, isn't it? It's not about it's not about big decisions, is it? Yeah, that's that's right. And um, we we got there, and it took a little bit longer than. Than we thought I mean, it any, would. Have you got any? Have you got any tips though that you could, you know, that that you began to learn that could, if someone's listening to this now, who's who's because we're still in the pandemic as we record this, um, have got the prospect of remote post production to come. Any any tips that you you could pass on that that could make someone's life easier? I, I guess the biggest thing is, um, and it's probably quite an obvious thing now. Um, we didn't think about it because we didn't think the world was going to be in the state that it was when we went into post. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think anyone could have predicted it when we were shooting the film. Plan. Plan for the eventuality. Don't, don't, um, don't think that necessarily the production process is going to be exactly the way that it is. So make sure that there are options to do things remotely in the best possible way. Um, we, we couldn't do that to a degree because it, to be honest, took us by surprise. Mm. Um, but but there are things that you can do, um, you know, certainly the facilities you use, make sure that, you know, you, we were grading in a place that simply wasn't big enough, for, you know, myself, the cinematographer and the grader to all sit together in a safe way. But some facilities do have that. So you, you, you can budget and you can make sure that your facilities are, you know, uh, future proof, but but also I think we were very lucky because the post people were just so good, and I'd worked with them before. Which I think if this process had been with, you know, I'd worked with is in fact the same grader who did Soror, who's who's fantastic, uh, Jason Moffat, just such a great um, colorist, and he he sort of knows the aesthetics that my self and my cinematographer like and you can really trust him to sort of get along with things where you're not there the same with the sound designer i'd worked with him many times and the sound mixer mm. so 
they knew I had certain quirks of things that I like. You know, I don't know if it's um, my, uh, and it's a strange filmmaker to reference when you compare it to something like Sorority, but man, I was a huge John Woo fan back in the day. Like, I, I, I was obsessed with Hong Kong cinema, and it means nearly in, in most of my films, if anyone closes a door or walks past the camera, there has to be like a slight. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You watch hard, like hard boiled, and and I love this because I saw your um your picks, your twenty six film picks, and I was pleased to see hard boiled on there. You know, you watch that, and it's just everything's like, and I love it. Like if you watch the party scene in Sorority, as people walking past the camera, you you hear it, there's a there's a shot of Sophie Kennedy Clark closing the door. You know, it's all just John Woo. Swishes. Well, I was going to say it's interesting you bring that up because my next question was going to be about about for what for what is for what could have easily been a no budget straight drama. You you've allowed yourself some stylish flourishes that sort of give it a cinematic edge over many a no budget film that a low budget film that I've you know that comes across Britflix's uh, desk as it were. I mean, I'm thinking of like you know the, the the sort of lovely sort of freezing on uh, on Emily character while everything else is going wrong while she's obviously contemplating her existential yeah. crisis or or even just introducing the idea of the of the of the journal and the, and the, the 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 narrative you know the, the the externalizing of her thoughts and stuff is a is is a you know it's a brave move in terms of you know creatively trying to get across the dilemma at the heart of these two sisters. And it happens quite late in the film, like to, to introduce it, like it's 25 minutes in and all of a sudden there's a voiceover. And, you know, it was something we, we discussed before we made the film. Did we need voiceover at the beginning to sort of lure people in? But I quite like it when films just do random things like that, you know? No, I was going to say, I liked, I was about to say yes, because I, 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 I enjoyed the, 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 the smattering of it. I mean, I hadn't really picked up the John Woo thing, but now you've told me I can see it. But it was kind of, I just was admiring what you'd done with the party, the way you'd constructed the party sequence. And then I think, it, if I remember rightly, it culminates on that kind of, it's her on her own, but obviously surrounded by people. So that idea of being lonely, even though you're surrounded by others. There can be a danger with making these kinds of films where stuff's, you know, I love a good kitchen sink drama, but occasionally it can get stylistically bland. Um, where it, it's more about just filming what happens. Mm. And I kind of, I wanted to meet in the middle. I wanted to sort of have a level of realism, but then also a bit of, you know, a, a stylistic edge to sort of enhance that. Um, back when I made um, a short film, Driftwood, um, I guess I was sort of experimenting with that style on that film. And I worked with the actor, Neil Maskell, wonderful actor, learned, a lot collaborating with him and he said to me he said i know what your style is james and i was like all right what, what is it and he said and you need to be very careful because it's you can get it wrong you've got to make sure you get the balance between the two right he said it's stylized realism and i was like oh, i like that you know that's that sounds kind of cool and kind of pretentious you know so uh i'll embrace them um and I, I guess that that you know, and he's he's completely right um, about um, my approach, but also 
the dangers with it. So you've got to make sure that, that you just sort of get that balance right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your dis- your decision when you want to turn it up to eleven in terms of a stylistic flourish, if it's too surprising, yeah. can be like what you're doing. I mean, I mean, I think I don't know if you've seen Pincushion, but but Deborah Haywood does this successfully too, where you have ostensibly a very realist drama about a young girl getting bullied at school and her depressed, you know, clinically depressed mother, but then it it it, it just cuts to complete, almost like fantasy imagine sequences. Where yeah. what's happening isn't real at all, but it's a de- it's illustrating what's maybe going on in a character's mind, or or trying to convey a sense of mood at that point before we go into something a lot harder or something. And I, and I and I think I think it's because you are making a film, you're not making a documentary, which I think it's 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 often forgotten that you are allowed to take some chances, you are allowed to do something. Um, you're allowed to do something that, that is that is interesting to you, not just in because if it's interesting to you to do, then obviously the viewer gets the treat. You know, the fact with the fact that I'm talking, I'm drawing attention to it is is testimony to, that it's it, it, it certainly is me as one as one anecdotal evidence of an audience as as kind of noticed above above what was a, a really a really interesting story of siblings. There was those cinematic moments that enabled me the 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 viewer to. Do some work. I think. I think the expression would be, you know, you're not just giving it me all on a plate. Because it's not. Um, <clears throat> quite a lot of those moments aren't. They're not really based in reality either. Mm. We've, we've sort of up to that point. It's been very um, sort of matter of fact, and what you see is what you see, and the relationships and the drama in those moments. It's quite. It's captured in that way, and then as soon as. Uh, Emily Haig's character, Sarah, sort of opens her journal. You almost see not an alternative reality, but you see sort of a visual representation of what's going through her mind as she writes those words. Um, and yeah, it sort of starts in that party scene. And, you know, I, I think during, you know, after I'd written the script and you're sort of visualizing moments as you write it, but but there is sort of that moment after a script's written where you just sit down and you think, right, how will I visually get across some of this stuff? And, you, you know, I was a little bit concerned. I was like, yeah, is it, there is a little bit of a switch here. Mm. But I think that's kind of, and I realized that's why I wanted to do it in the first place. I, I was interested in sort of sucking the viewers into our mind at that moment. And, that that very sort of clear visual change is, yeah, it felt right. You know, it's a risk, um, but um, you know, I think you've, you've got to take risks sometimes. No, no, no. Uh, and and, as, a, and, and yeah. as a and as a as a way of moving your narrative forward, and maybe this speaks to the amount the, the the genre films I've watched in my life. It got me thinking as to where is he going now. And I kind of, you know, I went to some dark places where, where, where I thought you might be taking us at certain points. Um, and and I, and that was good because, again, it's that idea of making me work. I wasn't just, it wasn't just, everything happening didn't happen as like just unfolding a packed box. <laughs> and there it is, the box yeah. is now a flat piece of cardboard. Well, that was, that was inevitable, wasn't it? Um, so yes, that was nice. Um, uh, the way that, the way that you were able to use those those stylish touches, but I, but for me, and again, I can only talk for me as a 
as anecdotal evidence. And I'm and I'm kind of talking in vague terms because I don't want to be, you know, Peter spoilery or anything. But it did, it, it got me thinking of, 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 it gave me a red herring at certain points as much as it was interesting to look at. I started thinking, oh, are we going there? Is this what this means? And uh, don't worry, James, I'll tell you this. When we, when we record's off, for the listener, I won't spoil the film. I've always been like a fan of sort of questions in films. Mm. And it's something I've, I guess I've, played around with my shorts and not to spoon feed everything, you know, you, that there, there are some questions there. And, um, I think it helps engage the audience. Um, of course, occasionally, um, you know, it does end up with some, some sort of funny, we had one guy who, who spoke to me after a screening of the short film and said, he, he was like, it's really great to see a really, a, a really nice, uh, positive lesbian drama. And I was like, I, and I sort of laughed. I was like, lesbian drama? And I was thinking, you've confused my film with another film you've seen. I said, no, no, mine was the one about the sisters. And he went, yeah, the, the lesbian. Because they get into bed together at the beginning. And I was like, no, that's not, that's sisters. There was, like, they say they're sisters. You know, it's not that kind of relationship. And uh, but it was just interesting that that they just jumped to that conclusion because of that. Oh, but that, but that's that's kind of that that you know that that was that was an early assumption from, that I, I I made in the opening scene. I was thinking, okay, what's going on here? <laughs> My mum did the same actually. Like she said to me, I said I thought they were lesbians at the beginning. I was like, no, just sisters. Well, of course, no, of course, and, and and that makes sense. But also, it would make sense if they were lovers as well. So it's kind of like it's that it's a great it's a grey line, and the fact that you clarify it without hitting <laughs> it a nail on the head subsequently, it's sort of you know clearly you know the first scene you see her with um, with Mister Gittins is uh, it's clear that they're not lesbian lovers. Uh, one last question for you: um, having having made this feature and 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 um, you've talked us through a few examples and stuff. What's what's a kind of favourite memory you're gonna you, you're gonna cherish from shooting this movie? You know, maybe, maybe it was the uh, the adverse moment that you you had your little victory over. Maybe it was just a good day on set that day. You know, anything particular that stands out for you? Oh, there there are so many. Um, I mean, it almost sounds kind of sugary and a bit bit kind of sappy, but I'm inviting it, James. I'm inviting that. <laughs> well, prepare yourself, you know, <laughs> because I always believed that making the first film would be like a real struggle, especially on a micro budget. I'd spoken to friends and they were like, oh, get ready, no sleep. You know, you, everyone's going to be cold and hungry. And this is, and you know, you're almost sort of geared up to, to make your film at any cost. And I was really disappointed when we actually had a really, really good time. Like even like some of the scenes in the film, which are you know pretty, pretty emotional and, and um, pretty intense. You know, we would we'd often you know have a good laugh afterwards, and it was a really great atmosphere on set. Like the cast were were brilliant, um, and the crew were were really great and uh, put so much hard work in. And and you know, I, I think it. Hopefully, it shows in the film. You know, certainly with the actors. You know that that you know we were genuinely having a good time. I think out of many many great moments, I think it was probably the we did a day filming in Dorset, 
on a, a beach, which um, is the beach I used to visit as a boy. Okay. And I, I think in the back of my head, I always were like, you know, I'd love to shoot a scene here one day um, in kind of a, almost like a, in a personal kind of way. But I think it's a beautiful area, Hingisbury Head. It's between Christchurch and Bournemouth. We went down there and we, we had all the crew and we set up, you know, all the DIT and, uh, you know, makeup stations in the local calf. And, you know, that's somewhere I used to go. Um, with my family and uh, you know, usually on a Sunday we used to go down there quite a lot and walk so it was a nice it was a nice circle to be back there and um, I think the weather had been really bad the previous day it was dreadful and the day after we filmed it was dreadful so I was almost prepared because Kate Dickey was there we, we couldn't really get her to come back again and reshoot her so rain or shine we were gonna shoot some scenes there regardless we may have had to make some changes if it was a gale force winds and loads of rain but it was the most beautiful day and it was quite warm i think even some of the crew got like sunburn afterwards so we we were very lucky and i think there was a scene we were shooting a scene with uh kate and sophie kennedy clark and, and they were so wonderful in this scene you know and i was just behind the monitor with this it was so bright i had to have like a black like a cloth draped over the monitor in my head so I could actually see the monitor and it was quite a weird personal space to be in I had all this crew around me but I was under there by myself and I think after a take I did have a slight moment where I was like this is cool mm-hmm. like it's it's a it's a cool circle you know coming back I'm from Bournemouth originally I've lived in London for years though and sort of coming back to the old stomping ground with a, with a crew and, you know, some wonderful actors making, you know, a, a film I really care about um, was really special. Um, yeah. So I think, well, I, I think hope, that was I hope, pretty... I hope you uh, thank the film gods uh, for, for blessing you that day. Yeah. I think um, a few days later we were filming the scenes in the woods and it rained torrentially. So I think, you know, we saved up some goodwill on that day only for it to come <laughs> back in spades later on. But that was a manageable situation. And, uh, yeah, it, it, didn't, it didn't impede us too much. just got us a bit wet. But uh, I was so pleased that day. And I think, it, you know, uh, Lorenzo shot it so, so beautifully, like moments where they're walking through the grass. And if it, if it had been a different kind of day, you wouldn't have been able to capture it in that way. And it's, it's one of my favourite moments in the film um, that, that I'm really, you know, proud of everyone's work. No, no, for um, sure, for sure. Well, look, it, um, it just gives me to say um, congratulations on your first feature film, Sorority. There will be links in the show notes to how, how and when people can see the feature. Um, so depending on when you're listening to this, check in to see what it's saying on that day. Um, hopefully that will coincide with when it's freely available to download or stream or whatever. Um, but it just leaves me to say thank you very much for giving us your time on the Britflix podcast. No, thank you. Wonderful to chat.
Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.